0: Even amid the chaos of the coronavirus pandemic, political analysts could not see past incumbent President Jair Bolsonaro or a center-right establishment candidate for Brazil's 2022 election. But that all changed earlier this month. More or less overnight, when the Supreme Court decided to quash ex-President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva's corruption convictions. Sentenced under Operation Car Wash, the chances of the center-left icon running for a president in 2022 were extremely remote. Actually, there were zero. But Lula has regained his political rights and is set to face off against Bolsonaro next year. In part one of this podcast, we explored the legacy of Operation Car Wash, the biggest anti-corruption effort in Brazilian history. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back and check it out. The two episodes are independent, but it's worth getting the context surrounding Operation Car Wash before going any further. Today, in part 2, we will discuss Lula's return to Brazil's electoral chessboard. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is explaining Brazil. Então, esse país está totalmente desordenado e
1: desagregado porque não tem governo. I will repeat, esse país não tem governo.
0: We had planned this episode for last week, one week after the Brazilian Supreme Court quashed all of Lula's convictions and sent his criminal cases back to square one. But then Jair Bolsonaro decided to swap out his health minister, and our podcast schedule changed. We decided to come back to Lula's return to the electoral ring because of just how consequential this decision should be. When it comes to politics and the Brazilian Supreme Court, nothing is set in stone. But as things stand, the 2022 election is said to be a clash between the two most popular and polarizing figures in contemporary Brazilian politics. On one side, far-right President Jair Bolsonaro. On the other, center-left former president Lula, who ruled Brazil between 2003 and 2010. It will be a clash of titans. In this episode, we explore the massive political repercussions of Lula regaining his political rights. But before we go any further, let's have a little recap on how we got here. Lula was convicted in 2017 for corruption and money laundering. Former federal judge Sergio Moro was the figurehead of the massive Operation Car Wash Anti-Corruption Task Force and found Lula guilty of accepting a beachfront triplex apartment as a kickback from a construction company. He sentenced Lula to nearly 10 years in prison, which was then raised to almost 13 years by a court of appeals. Then... In 2019, he was convicted once more for accepting a different property as a kickback from another construction company. This time, his sentence was 17 years in prison, once again upheld by a court of appeals. According to Brazil's electoral rules, anyone with an appellate conviction becomes ineligible for office for eight years. So after his first confirmed guilty verdict in 2018, Lula was arrested and barred from the presidential election, and it is worth remembering that he was the front-runner at the time. That paved the way for Jair Bolsonaro's electoral triumph later that year, alongside economic anxieties and a growing anti-left sentiment among the middle classes. Now, three years later, Lula is back. And while he hasn't declared his presidential candidacy, his words and actions suggest he's firmly on the campaign trail. Alberto Carlos Almeida, you are a political scientist who has dedicated a lot of time to understanding how Brazilian voters think. First of all, thanks for joining us today. And my first question to you is, exactly how much of a game-changer is Lula's return? I ask that because polls show that most Brazilians think he's guilty and should have been convicted, and yet his polling numbers are impressive, even outstripping President Bolsonaro's.
1: The point is uh, what uh, you and me and everybody else, what we consider opposition, is a strong candidate to win the presidential election. This This is the whole point. I think that this case
0: could be, or may be, Uh, similar to what happened in 1994. Right, so just for context, between the late 80s and 1994, Brazil suffered from hyperinflation. Prices would increase multiple times a day, and people saw their wages evaporate on an hourly basis. The government then created a new currency, the real, which curbed inflation from 40% a month to less than 2% a month. And he made the finance minister at the time Fernando Henrique Cardoso an unbeatable candidate at the presidential election.
1: Up to the very beginning of the Plano Real, Real Plan, uh, Lula was leading the vote intention for president and was leading uh, very easily. He had 40 for 0, 40% vote intention. Once inflation went down, uh, vote intention for Lula went down also. This is the whole point. This is what is, is going on now, uh, somehow, in some sense. Lula is the one who has the chance to defeat Bolsonaro. At that moment, it wasn't re-election. In 1994, it wasn't re-election. But now it is, and everybody knows that to be re-elected is easier than uh, to be indicated by an incumbent or to be the challenger. And uh, Lula has a real chance to defeat Bolsonaro. And the other, all other candidates, apart from Lula, they don't have uh, this chance. The, the, the great difference between now and 1994 is that in 1994, people in government, Fernando Cardoso, Itamar, politicians from PSTB who were in Itamar's government, they were very rational, very pragmatic, and Bolsonaro isn't. This is the main difference. Uh, if Bolsonaro was as pragmatic as Cardoso, he would correct the path of his government and he would start fighting in a proper way uh, the pandemic in Brazil. I compare this moment to the moment of uh, Real Plan with this very important, very relevant difference that uh, Bolsonaro is uh, much more ideological and, uh, you know, he's not pragmatic in in this sense.
0: So you're saying that nobody but Lula could beat Bolsonaro, despite the government's approval ratings going down, voter dissatisfaction rising, and fears of the pandemic and economic anxieties at an all-time high. Why is that?
1: it's uh, it's due to our party system our party system is extremely fragmented we have more than 30 political parties in lower chamber let's imagine you had only two political parties if it was this situation uh, it would exist a very strong opposition party against bolsonaro so our party our system, political scientists, academic political scientists, they've published about that, books and uh, in journals, uh, they had this, uh, I think it's an accurate diagnosis that uh, a fragmentation, uh, party fragmentation allows the president, Bolsonaro was the first to do that, to govern for a minority, a minority of 30%, 25% of the electorate. So it's due to our party system. And uh, what Lula does is somehow to bypass the party system. Lula is a a very uh, popular leader with uh, an important share of the electoral vote. So because of that, he is uh, much bigger than any opposition political party. When Lula gets into the election, it means that uh, What gets into, in fact, is uh, a very strong opposition party, as it happens in any, for example, two-party system. Even a three-party system or a four-party system, there are two big ones, two big political parties. So it's a a flaw of our political system. Uh, This flaw will be corrected in the next uh, let's say five, ten years, because uh, if uh, if the politicians they don't change the the electoral laws we have at this moment in Brazil, because of uh, those laws, they will foster a system uh, with less parties, much less parties than we have now. But uh, this is what is going on in Brazil. Lula, Lula replaces uh, a very a very fragmented political system with his presence, with his share of votes.
0: A lot of political scientists say that a clash between Lula and Bolsonaro would be bad for Brazil. They say the level of vitriol would be detrimental and traumatic for the country. You disagree. Instead, you welcome that face-off and say that Lula versus Bolsonaro would be a good thing for Brazil. Why is that?
1: Well, I wish Bolsonaro were able to do the same what uh, de Gaulle did in France. De Gaulle was the one who organized the right wing in France in political parties. I think that this is missing in Brazil, and uh, it's bad for Brazil. There was a polarization before Bolsonaro. It was between two parties, PSCB and PT, and I think it was good for Brazil. All countries, all countries in the world have those polarizations, this kind of polarization. Take U.S., take uh, U.K., take uh, uh, Spain. France changed in the last election, but uh, Germany doesn't and other countries. So it's a left versus right-wing polarization. Bolsonaro is a popular leader, is the first right-wing real popular uh, leader in Brazil since our redemocratization, Collor was something like uh, Bolsonaro. Lula is a very popular leader. Lula organized a political party. I think that as I as I have a very strong faith in democracy, and I think that because of that, democracy needs popular leaders and needs political parties, strong political parties. This is why I praise the competition or the clash between. Lula and Bolsonaro, and uh, I just point out that uh, what is missing is a strong right-wing political party. We need that in Brazil. We have a strong left-wing, and I think that Lula and Bolsonaro likely electoral competition next year will will help to organize our political party in such a way. And uh, uh, we need a clear-cut competition in Brazil less political parties, two big ones, one right-wing, another left-wing, it's PT, with popular leaders. Every country which uh, politics works in a proper way, they have such, uh, let's say, a political engineering, let's say.
0: And how will this campaign unfold?
1: Gustavo, uh, we don't need to be a marketing professional, an advertisement professional. We don't need to talk to Lula to know one year before his strategy, his electoral strategy, he will compare his government with Bolsonaro's government. This, this will be his strategy. And his speech, his, his first speech last week, was uh, doing that. In 2008, the automotive industry sold 4 million cars per year in the country. Passado 13 years, Este país vende dois milhões de carros. And Bolsonaro will attack Lula saying that, uh, uh, attacking Dilma's government. And Lula will say, look, it's not Dilma who is running against you, it's Lula. And Dilma's government was boycotted uh, by Eduardo Cunha, by uh, entrepreneurial people in Brazil. And what I want to discuss here is a comparison between my government, Lula, and your government, Bolsonaro. This is the strategy. So let's see what happens. Uh, nobody knows in such an advance, but uh, what we know is that this is the optimal, optimal strategy for Lula in the electoral campaign. When he left government, his evaluation, as uh, we measure in Brazil, excellent goods, bad and horrible, you know, his evaluation, when you sum up excellent and good, was 80%. Even so, you don't need to consider 80%. We know that uh, it was 65% during the electoral year of 2010, his last year in office. So uh, he just needs his this 65% to be very competitive and to be the favorite against uh, Bolsonaro.
0: That comparison between economic conditions during the Lula years and now seems to have struck a chord with the left. In Lula's first address after regaining his political rights, he talked about Brazilians' uncertainties over being able to put food on the table. And this is a big change from the left's messaging since 2016 when Dilma Rousseff was impeached because the left kept beating the drum that democracy was backsliding and that the country was descending into a dictatorship which didn't stick with voters. So is shifting to economics going to be the key to beat Bolsonaro in 2022?
1: For sure, you are right. Uh, Look, the most remarkable part of Lula's speech last week was when he spoke about economics, about well-being, about the prices of goods in Brazil, about the price of rice and cooking gas, you know, about the, the petrol, gasoline, it was uh, he was very emphatic at this moment in his speech. And uh, this idea of discussing democracy, fascism and things like that, uh, it, it's not a, it's not something that mobilizes electorate. It's, it's the only you can see that only in Twitter, you know, Facebook, very highly educated people. Uh, uh, civil servants, public servants, it's not something uh, which uh, moves uh, peop- uh, move the electorate to vote for, for the left or for for Lula. And uh, even that uh, identity agenda uh, important imported in Brazil from from US, from New England, Boston, Massachusetts, that uh, lots of people in, in left to wing they like to, to be in favor of that. Lula is not sensible to that. Lula doesn't want to, to speak about that. Lula wants to speak about uh, economic well-being. His ideology, his values, Lula's values, they were brought up in a very uh, difficult childhood, uh, teenager. Lula was socialized by the preeminence by the importance of uh, economic well-being. Even today, most Brazilians, they have the same socialization. And Lula, this is why Lula speaks the language of uh, common people.
0: Alberto, thank you very much. Alberto Carlos Almeida is a political scientist and the writer of The Brazilian Vote, a book which tries to understand how Brazilian voters think by way of analyzing electoral results and crossing that data with socioeconomic indicators. You can find an English version of the book on e-stores. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars. That will help more people find out about this show, or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.